Oh, guys. <laughs> what was we that? We have to start out with an apology. <laughs> oh, I'm fanning myself. I swear to God. Guys, These this this year's uh, Pride coverages have been kind of brutal. Yeah, they just, have. Just, let's just get through this week's coverage, and next week we'll have a fun one for you, okay? I promise. <laughs> It's just been all about the tortured gay man this Pride season. Uh. Which is fine. It's just, it's been a lot. It's been a lot. It's, it broke back and then Jedgar and now this. And like, oh, man. Uh, just like, thank you for bearing with us. This is going to be a sad hour and a half. Thank you for being here. We promise next week will be fun. Yeah, no, we do. We, we do. double pinky promise. <laughs> <laughs> That's a sacred promise. <laughs> Welcome back to Kicking and Streaming, where the least you could do is look at me and give me a moment of your time. I'm Carrie. I'm Ross. And this week we are covering the 1993 legal drama, Philadelphia. Woo! P.U. Profoundly upsetting. For profoundly upsetting. Oh my, Ross? I, Carrie, guys, I cannot believe, Carrie, this is a first for both me and Carrie Ann. We've never seen this movie before, and it's such a pivotal moment in cinema. It is. This is a kicking and streaming first. I just, real. I was so taken aback by how much I did not know about this film. I'm, I'm, I'm excited to break it down, and I'm also not. <laughs> no, neither you nor I was happy <laughs> to walk our gay asses down here into this recording booth and talk about this P.U. movie. Uh, but it's so good. It is. It's, it is. It is the goodest P.U. movie I think we've done, so... Yeah, yeah, I agree. <laughs> the goodest. <laughs> the best P.U. movie we've done. Before we get started, don't forget, folks, please go over to Twitter and follow us at Kick and Stream. K-I-C-K-N. S-T-R-E-A-M. It's homophobic if you don't. Yeah. <laughs> go follow. You can write the show at Kicking and Streaming Podcast at gmail.com. That's with an and, not an ampersand. And don't forget, folks, please be practicing those three R's. Rate, review, retweet. Rate, review, retweet, folks. We want everyone to come and join our brutal but pride watch party. Roth, tell them about the Patreon. Guys, I don't know if you knew this, but it's really queerphobic to not give us your money right now. Ross. I'm kidding. <laughs> Guys, I know that I always say that. Like, it's just, it's, I don't want to, like, bullshit, like, trying to sell people things. That's why I always just say it's never been a better time to give us your money, because that's what we're asking for. <laughs> people like to advertise and veil it in all these perks and benefits. I'm sorry. It's us shooting the shit and talking about TV over there on the Patreon, but it's quality content, guys. It's not like it's no work. For just $5 a month, you too can be a little Onion contributor at the $5 level. There's no other level, so <laughs> it's the only tier we have. You get guaranteed two posts a month. We're doing all of our long-form coverage, all of our television coverage, all of our bonus content is all waiting for you over there right now. Listen to last year's long-form coverages. We did Every episode of HBO's John Adams, produced by Tom Hanks. <laughs> and every episode of Netflix's The Haunting of Hill House, which has Carla Gugino, who was in Spy Kids with Antonio Banderas. <laughs> <laughs> Go on and give it a listen. And guys, you can find all of our main feed goodness over on our Podbean page. You can also get a custom RSS link there and listen in any player of your choosing. Don't be a homophobe this Pride <laughs> season. Go and subscribe to our Patreon. Oh my god that's awful i'm kidding I, 
I'll be quite honest, I don't have a funny segue. How could you? <laughs> yeah! How could you possibly have any kind of pun with which I could fire you for right now? I just... <laughs> I know, Carrie. It, it, this is going to be rough, guys, but it bears discussion. I, we really cannot believe we've not seen this movie until the year of our ever-loving Lord 2023. <laughs> this movie is as old as you are. It turns 30 this December. You know what? I'm, I'm sorry. I would thank you to keep that shit to yourself. I'm 26. I'm 27 <laughs> this year. You're still young. So are you. Not based on all the, oh, did you know that women lose their value after 30 jokes? You, you always you make. You look and sound very 370 months right now. <laughs> <laughs> All right. All right, guys. Let's get started. Highline Incorporated is now represented by Wyant, Wheeler, Hellerman, Tetlow, and Brown. And more specifically, Andrew Beckett. Yes! Bravo! <laughs> I sincerely appreciate your faith in my abilities. Mr. Beckett! <laughs> How are you? What happened to your face? I have AIDS. Oh. I'm seeking representation. You want to sue Wyant, Wheeler, Hellerman, Tetlow, and Brown? I was diagnosed with AIDS eight months ago during a bout with pneumonia. What was that in your forehead, pal? Uh, Andy, everyone in this room is your friend. I misplaced an important complaint. That's their story. We've been talking it over, your future, that is, and we feel that because we respect you so much, we must be honest with you. Excuse me. Am I being fired? Would you accept a client if you were constantly thinking, I don't want this person to touch me. I have a case. I don't want him to even breathe on me. If you don't want it for personal reasons. Thank you, that's correct, I don't. That's very disappointing. Sir, wouldn't you be more comfortable in a research room? No. Would it make you more comfortable? Beckett, how you doing? Counselor. Did you find a lawyer? There's going to be things said at the trial that are going to be hard for you to hear. I want to know everything about his personal life. What deviant groups did he secretly belong to? I didn't raise my kids to sit in the back of the bus. Is Andrew Beckett the kind of lawyer who misplaces crucial documents? An excellent lawyer. Andrew Beckett is dying. You were impressed with Andrew Beckett's work. Andrew Beckett is angry. What powerful force has caused him to change his mind? And he wants someone to pay. TriStar Pictures presents... The law's been broken. I just want what is fair, what is right. You remember the law, don't you? A Jonathan Demme picture. So let's talk about what this case is really all about. Did you fire Andrew Beckett because he had AIDS? The general public's hatred, our loathing, our fear. In this courtroom, Mr. Miller, justice is blind to matters of sexual orientation. We don't live in this courtroom, no, do we? Tom Hanks. I love the law. Denzel Washington. Are you gay? Objection! In a story about our lives. Oh, Mom, today's a good day. Our fears. Andy brought AIDS into our offices. And our humanity. I hate this case. Philadelphia. How many lawyers you go to before you call me? Nine. Nineteen ninety three. Wow. I know we just got done talking about the dating you and the age and <laughs> all of that, but wow, guys, the Philadelphia is quite literally 
the first time a major motion picture even addresses queer people. Yeah. Homophobia, queerphobia, and the fear of the HIV AIDS epidemic in this country. (laughs) Which we know that Ronald Reagan famously ignored for his entire presidency. Hundreds of thousands of people lost to this very terrible disease. And no one really cared because it's just... It's just gay people, right? Yeah, no, no reason to think about it. We need less of those around, right? It's almost like God sent this as a plague to punish America. They did it to themselves. Yeah, no, guys, it's just some really, really horrible and hateful rhetoric against the Alphabet Mafia there in the uh, 1980s and even on into the 1990s. And can I just educate them a little bit, just in case anyone has, you know, any qualms or confusion about what exactly it is. Oh, no, please. So it's human immunodeficiency virus is HIV. And I always thought it was autoimmune disease, but or, or that it's was not. That's well, it's it's I thought that was the acronym for AIDS was autoimmune uh, deficiency syndrome is what I thought it was. No, oh. it's, it's acquired immunodeficiency syndrome. Oh, I've been saying it wrong quite literally my whole life. Wow. And, I mean, obviously people just say AIDS, but, like, you know, I didn't even know the proper term for it up until quite recently. It's a spectrum of conditions caused by the infection of the human immunodeficiency virus. Individuals might not notice symptoms right away. It mostly comes on as an influenza-type illness and then gets progressively worse from there as the virus works to destroy vital cells in your body. So many people whose loved ones died from AIDS saying that they died of pneumonia yeah, or some other kind of infectious disease instead of actually saying that, yes, they had this disease and they died from it. It was unspeakable. Around... 115 million cases since the early 1980s. Globally. Yes. And around just over 40 million people have died since the virus first showed its ugly face to the world. (sighs) It, It is mostly seen as a sexually transmitted infection, but it's not. You can get it by sharing needles, bad blood transfusions, even though medically we've mostly phased out any mistakes like that. But it was known to happen. You know, people who weren't even queer were getting AIDS. There's an episode of the Golden Girls about it! Yeah, because Rose has an AIDS scare because of a bad blood transfusion. Oh my god! And like, good on the fucking Golden Girls for addressing it in the time. Thank you, my god! Thank you, Susan Harris. Yeah, thanks, Susan. Thank you so much. Like, you know, it's like, it's a really horrible way to go. You Mm. quite literally waste away. And what we're dealing with here in this film is a lawyer who lives and works in Philadelphia who is um, not openly gay. No. But... um, Not in his professional life. But, you know, he kind of keeps his queer community and his professional life separate. Mm -hmm. And um, it is about how he is fired from... He is terminated from his position at a very prestigious Philadelphia law firm just for the fact that his employers discover that he is infected with HIV. The employers are trying to say, no, it's because he's, he's incompetent, you know? He, he My ass! He wasn't a good lawyer, and they quite literally did everything they could to try and make him look incompetent to justify his termination, when really, they didn't want to work with someone who had HIV-AIDS. Like, at the, like guys, people, the stigma, these poor people, 
like it wasn't just that you know it was mostly about hating queer men it was mostly about demonizing homosexual men because they're deviants and you know child abusers and you know people thought that you could get it just by touching gay men or shaking their hand or being in their vicinity like it's like it transmits through fomites but it doesn't yeah that's the thing it bud. doesn't at all it, it only exchanges through bodily fluid there is something about the misinformation and the scare amongst the larger u.s populace about how this disease transmits that was incredibly familiar to me in the year of our lord 2023 yes like it's not comparable but it is also familiar Mm -hmm. guys um i'm gonna drop some very informational links about hiv aids about where you can get tested for it I'd love everybody to, you know, adapt a larger consciousness and knowledge about the disease as it relates today. Because it's a different world that we're dealing with in this film, but the disease is still alive and well today. So I'd love to post some resources for you. Sexual safety is not just for queer individuals, folks. Oh, no! It's for everybody. Anyone can get this disease. It is not a punishment to queer individuals. Ugh. All right, so directing this week, we have got Jonathan Demi. Oh, Mr. Demi. I believe our first Demi film, and I can't believe that it is. God, I wanted to do Silence of the Lambs before this. I know, I can't believe that we're that we're getting to the Demi before Silence of the Lambs, but uh, guys, I, I, I'm just, I'm going to say it a thousand times, I cannot believe I've never seen this movie. Yeah. I've seen it made fun of countless times, I've seen it, you know, satirized, I, but I've never actually sat down and watched the movie before. I know it's kind of what, you know, made Tom Hanks. And, you know, obviously he was with us last month when we did Forrest Gump, the movie that came out the year after this. Yep. He won Best Actor Oscars two years in a row <laughs> for Philadelphia and Forrest Gump, respectively. Demi films, obviously, The Silence of the Lambs, Married to the Mob. He did Rachel Getting Married with Anne Hathaway. And you know how much I love that movie. Yeah. Oh, oh no. What? His directorial debut was Caged Heat from 1974. Oof. It's a women in prison film. Oh, no! Ah! Ah! Demi. Okay, R.I.P. Demi. Actually, you know what? No. (laughs) What? I feel like, I think Demi is actually kind of problematic. I hate to say it. Is he... I think he's kind of garbage, just as a person. Uh, Not, and I only say this because he came to the defense of Roman Polanski. Oh, no! Yeah, yeah. I'm sorry. We should just be able to arrest rapists no matter where they are in the world. Anyway... <laughs> But, guys, you know, Howard Shore does the music for this film. Oh, and it's great. He is quite literally the creator of The Sound of Tolkien. Uh-huh. He wrote all the Tolkien universe music. And, guys, cinematography by Tak Fujimoto. We've talked about Fujimoto multiple times. And we have. We have. But most notably um, for HBO's John Adams over there on the Patreon. Go uh, subscribe. 
<laughs> also uh, executive produced by Tom Hanks. By Tom Hanks, who absolutely <laughs> wanted to u- utilize Tak Fujimoto. <laughs> and folks, you might have guessed it, but we've got names. Wow. Portraying our protagonist here, Andrew Beckett, we have Tom Hanks. Please welcome him back to Kicking and Streaming. He's been with us several times. Oh my God. And I think this might be the sixth or seventh time. Like, God, there were so, so many things. So, Polar Express, Sleeping in Sleeping in Seattle. <laughs> Sleepless in Seattle. A League of Their Own. A League of Their Own. Forrest, Forrest Gump. Gump. Toy Story. Toy Story. I'm counting John Adams. <laughs> okay. She quite literally is the reason it exists. <laughs> okay. And so this is, yeah, this is like the sixth time. Oh my God, Tom! I mean, guys, we mo- love you. Big money pit, Saving Private Ryan, Catch Me If You Can, The Pose, Bridge of Spies. We love Tom Hanks. He is a national treasure, and you're gonna see just why that is in this movie. If you haven't noticed in the last six coverages or whatever, <laughs> he definitely got. I just, he might be one of my faves. Like, I, know. I just love him to death. He's the Jimmy Stewart of our time. Portraying Joseph Miller. (laughs) Oh, we've got another great national treasure here with us today. I think this might be his first kicking and streaming appearance. I can't think of another film we've done with Mr. Denzel Washington. (sighs) Guys, I think it's funny that this is his first appearance, but Tom's like sixth. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I loved, I, I, he's such a good actor and he's so fine. Yeah. I, he just is. I mean, Fences, Ma Rainey's Black Bottom, Malcolm X, Remember the Titans, <laughs> Glory, Great Debater, Flight. Oh boy. I, you know I've been pushing Flight. Kenneth oh. Branagh's Much Ado About Nothing. I, I would give my left tit to cover that movie. Uh, as, um, oh, here we fucking go. Okay. I'm going to get these fucks out of the way. Oh, okay. Okay, these are the employers. Oh. Yeah. Charles Wheeler is played by Jason Roberts. He is quite a notable film and television actor. He is. Um, I would recognize his thin lips anywhere. He's got two Oscars. Long Day's Journey Into Night, A Thousand Clowns, The St. Valentine's Day Massacre, Once Upon a Time in the West. Wow. Something called Torah, Torah, Torah. (laughs) All the President's Men from 1976. Wow. Ooh, and Magnolia from 1999. Oh, oh. That's one of those. It's like a... It's like a Gary Marshall where there's all those fucking stars in it, but yeah, like, yeah and it's a quirky story. Anyway, as as counsel for the primary employer, Belinda Conning, <laughs> please welcome her back to Kicking and Streaming. We have Mary Steen Virgin with us here. She was with us when we did Elf. And The Help. Oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah. Yep. A, this is her third time. This is her third time. Mary, it's, it's great to have you back. Hate your character. <laughs> um, as Andrew Beckett's partner, Miguel Alvarez, we have, please welcome him back to Kicking and Streaming, Antonio Banderas. Hey, 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 hey. He was with us when we, wow. <laughs> he was with us when we covered Spy Kids. He was with us when we covered Shrek 2, because he's puss in boots. <laughs> Uh, guys, Mask of Zorro, Interview with an M- with an Empire. Oh. Wow. Interview with a Vampire. Do you know how happy I was to see him? I know. I know. Oh. Also, he's in something called Tie Me Up, Tie Me Down from 1989. <laughs> and I absolutely feel like that is something we need to go upstairs and watch immediately. As a matter of fact, turn off the mic. Oh, my God. Let's go watch it now. 
playing Andy's mother, Sarah, is Joanne Woodward, also a golden age of Hollywood actor. Like, it took me the entirety of this movie, Ross, to figure out where I'd seen her before. Mm-hmm. Would you like to tell the kids where I've seen her before? Isn't she in fucking Sybil? Yes. She, uh, she plays the psychiatrist in Sybil with Sally Field. Which is funny because she's f- most notable for Three Faces of Eve from 1957 about a woman with dissociative identity disorder. Wow. Joanne, what's in the water? <laughs> what's going on? Anyway. If you're our parents' age or our grandparents' age, you love Joanne Woodward. Yeah, baby. (laughs) As Andy's father, Bud, we have Bob Castle, Mm -hmm. Robert W. Castle. He's also in Rachel Getting Married. Baby. Yeah, I know. He's a a demi-fave. He's in a a few demis. There's so many demi-faves in this movie. I know. Um... So, some other faves. Guys, fucking Ann Dowd is here as Andy's sister, Jill. Actress Ann Ann Dowd. Dowd. (laughs) Aunt Lydia from The Handmaid's Tale or Patty from The Leftovers on HBO. (laughs) (laughs) Amongst others, we've got Adam LaFerve, John Bedford Lloyd, Charles Napier, Burton Maxwell, Roger Corman, David Drake, Harry Northup, Chandra Wilson from Grey's Anatomy, you noticed her? She's so tiny. She's so she's Dr. Bailey. This is yeah. from, from Grey's Anatomy. She's such a baby in this movie. I feel like the, I think this is her debut film. Yeah. Uh Daniel Von Bargen, Karen Finley, Robert Wrigley, Bradley fucking Whitford. Please welcome him <laughs> back to Kicking and Streaming. He's the little fuck that frames him for being incompetent. Yep. Yeah. I, he's always a little fuck, isn't he? <laughs> He was with us when we covered Cabin in the Woods. He was also with us on Main Feed when we covered the pilot of the West Wing, because he's Josh fucking Lyman. <laughs> the only member of the West Wing who is not allowed in the joint rotation. He's also the evil dad who voted for Obama from Get Out. <laughs> um, Ron Vauter, Anna DeVere Smith from the West Wing, because she's National Security Advisor Nancy mm-hmm. McNally. Hold on. Small note about Vauter, okay? He's one of many actors in this movie who actually did have HIV and AIDS. Oh yeah, he's one of the fucking he's one of the fuck employers. Yeah. Yeah, and is one is the only employer who throughout the movie actually expresses empathy for Andy's plight. Yeah. And you know, Demi had to fight people on that in including him in this movie. And you know what? Demi, good on you. We have character actor Tracy Walter in this film. <gasps> Please welcome him back to Kicking and Streaming because he's the librarian in this movie and he's actually been with us multiple times. Well, like at least once, if not multiple. He was with us in our second ever coverage, Independence Day. The arm is moving. Yeah. He's one of those techs at Area 51. He was with us when we did Matilda. Yup. He was with us when we did Mighty Joe Young. Yup. Because he's one of the guards. Like, he was with us... He's going to be with us a yeah. few more times. <laughs> I can feel it. He's a he's a great character actor. Also, the mayor of Philadelphia, Ed Rendell, appears as himself <laughs> in television coverage on this. And Dr. J! Julia Serving? I I I'm sorry, I don't know. Julia Serving? Like the the basketball player? That's right. I know you don't know from these things. I think it's funny that Daniel Day Lewis was offered the main role in this. Turned it down to be in, what's it called? I can't remember. Yeah, that other movie that got nominated that year. <laughs> and then he lost. And then he lost. <laughs> Thank God he did Lincoln. Or My Left Foot. Or what did he win for? It doesn't matter. <laughs> We're not talking about you today, Daniel. Sorry, take a seat. Um, <laughs> all right, guys, we absolutely must get to the content because we have quite literally been sitting here for half an hour. So, <laughs> Carrie, 
You're driving. I know. <laughs> I'm sorry. I just... Guys, I couldn't get the film to play yesterday. We were supposed to record yesterday, but <laughs> it didn't work out. Carrie Ann's had more time. We open the movie meeting our main character, Andrew Beckett, played by the babyest of Tom Hanks's. And the thing is, like we've already said, Andy, as I will be affectionately referring to him, because I feel like he and I would have been friends, mm. Andy is not only gay, but he also has AIDS. And for good reason, he is hiding this from everyone in his professional life. Andy is a senior associate at a corporate law firm with one of the longest titles I've ever heard, Wyatt, Wheeler, Hellerman, Tetlow, and Brown. And Washington Adams, Jefferson, Madison, Monroe <laughs> Adams. Yeah. <laughs> and while I am prepared to hold that against him, that he's at a corporate law firm, he is also very well liked. Since you've asked. Your exam. Thank you. 98. 98? 98. Congratulations. Thanks. Hey, I have to pick up Amy from her after school, but I want to talk to you about that handsome thing. Oh, give me a call. I'm going to be here and tell Amy that I loved her painting. It's on my wall. He gets along with everyone. He knows things about their personal lives. He treats his secretary well. And you want to know why? Why? Because he's queer. Yep. Sorry. They I... just get it. I'm not trying to be a dick to heteronormative people. There is a There is a threshold at which... Queer people are far more understanding than others who have not faced the same adversity. And I'll make this point again at the end, by the way. And also, it's a crime the way you literally just blew past that opening sequence. Because I think it's really fun to see all the footage of just regular-ass people in Philadelphia in 1992-93. Yeah. Quite literally... It's how the world looked when you were born. Maybe that's why I blew past it. May, like it's like it's a time capsule. It's very interesting. It's kind of like, well, our parents were our age, you know. Oh fuck! In that time. Oh wow! I know. I oh, know. Oh my good god! Our parents were actually a little bit younger than us. Stop! When this movie came out. Absolutely not. Okay, I see why you wanted to blow by it. Okay, <laughs> I've done this three times now. I'm so sorry. Keep going. You keep going, Slugger. Andy also has the attention of all the partners in this corporate law firm, right? They like him because he's super good at his fucking job. He's a great lawyer. They've got a very big case coming in, and they pull him in to advise on this case and pick his brain and get his attention. And it's a copyright case, right? Mm. For a company called Highland. I'm not really sure what they do. It's really not germane to the plot. Look at you using the SAT vocab, germane. Yeah, no. Just suffice it to say that this is the biggest case this firm has ever had. Mm -hmm. Highline Incorporated is now represented by Wyant, Wheeler, Hellerman, Tetlow, and Brown. Outstanding. <laughs> and more specifically... Senior associate, Andrew Beckett. Bravo. Yes! Bravo. There's so many shots early in this movie where everybody is not looking at each other. Yeah. Um, but they're looking directly into the camera. I'm glad that you brought this up because this was super fucking disconcerting. I actually was not feeling good about this movie in the first 20 minutes of it because it's so jarring the way that it's shot. And I was like, ew, I don't know. And like, I'm, I'm super uncomfortable 
it's totally intentional. It's completely intentional because it's not only designed to make us feel the connections between the characters. Or lack thereof. Or lack thereof, but also the connections between the characters and the audience, right? Yeah, it's just all these actors getting right up into the camera as dialogue spoken. And I'm like, or like at him, you know, like POV Andy, you know? Mm -hmm. And it's like, tack! Yeah. Tack! Oh, Mr. Fujimoto. (laughs) And what's crazy about it is that it's setting us up for how these connections will eventually be warped by knowledge of Andy's condition, right? Exactly. However, at the same meeting, one of the partners, I forget his name at this moment, but I'll remember it later because it's in my notes. One of them fucks. One of the partners notices a lesion that is starting to form on Andy's forehead. Yeah, he's the super nasty one. Like, there's Charles Wheeler, and then this guy's the super nasty one. Like, Yeah. yeah. I think his name's Kenton. Yeah, Kenton. Yeah, that's Kenton. You're right. Yeah, thank you. You've met Andy. Congratulations. Oh, thanks. I'm overwhelmed. What's that in your forehead, pal? Well, where? That right there in your forehead. Oh, oh I got whacked in the head with a racquetball. Ooh. Excuse me. And Andy writes it off as, oh, I was hit by a racquetball at the club. No big deal. Mm. And so that ends without a hitch. And nine days later, there's two more lesions on Andy's face. And the thing is, is that these lesions are symptoms of a disease called Kaposi's sarcoma, which is a type of cancer that is associated with HIV and AIDS. He's got to call in sick for four days so that his colleagues don't observe these lesions on his face. Because it's not like it's a just him thing. This is something that's well documented in popular culture. People know or are starting to recognize the signs of AIDS when they appear. I mean, it's been around a decade. So. Yes. And like at the same time, guys, he knows. It's not like he's had this for a while. Like 10 years at this point. Well, yeah, about. And the thing is that I do love for Andy is that he does have a small support network of peers. You know, there's Chandra. The young black woman who's his friend, Bruno, who is obviously a young gay man. I can't remember the other guy's name. I'm so sorry, because what is coming into this narrative that I'm super excited about is Antonio Banderas. His partner? Yes. Miguel? Miguel. The... He's a college uh, professor. I, I j- Carrie. I know. 1993, Antonio Banderas. Like Avita. Makes me want to fucking disappear. I know, like Avita age, Antonio Banderas. I would lay down in front of a train. I <laughs> for him. This I'm I'm literally having a gay panic right now. I like know. he's so fine. In the character of Miguel. Uh-huh. Is such a good boyfriend. He is. And so nurturing. Because. And why not me? <laughs> why? Oh, buddy. Oh, my God. Oh, God. I deserve my Antonio Banderas 1992 boyfriend. Because after four days of being sick, Andrew has obviously checked into the hospital. And Miguel is there, obviously very worried about him. The way he is arguing with this doctor about his treatment. This doctor from Silence of the Lambs? Yes, he is! I guess Philadelphia and Silence of the Lambs are in the same universe. Just about! Because we've got three casting hits. At so. least! No, 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 there could be parasites and infection. I mean, 
reaction to the ACT. All these are possibilities. We've got to go forward. No, 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 listen to me. He's not going through some painful procedure until we cancel out everything else. Do you know what I mean? Listen, I'm trying to help your partner here, okay? Okay. Now, you're not a member of his immediate family. I'm not? I could have you removed from the ER. Really? Look, look, look. He's, he's upset. He's sorry. No, don't apologize for me, okay? Okay, he's, he's not sorry. And so while Andy is in the hospital, he is accepting a call from the law office about this big Highland case he's been made lead on. They're having a preliminary hearing, right? And they've only got like a very short window to submit for this lawsuit. Yeah, no, it's a, it's a, uh, he, he put together a whole brief to file in court. He set it on his desk, told his secretary exactly where it was, but now they can't seem to find it. It's nowhere to be found. And I have God, not Bradley Whitford. Yeah, they're calling him at the hospital, telling him, yeah, Bradley Whitford, Josh Lyman, <laughs> this is Josh Lyman, I don't care what the character's real name is. His name is Jamie. Okay, Jamie Lyman is calling <laughs> him at, is calling Andy at the hospital to be like, hey, bro, don't know where this brief is. It's not it's not here physically. It's not even in your computer. Yeah. It's been completely wiped from his computer. Yeah. Jamie, I don't have to remind you, do I, that we are up against the statute of limitations on this complaint and it runs out in 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 75 minutes. It's not here, Andy. Not there. I'm, I'm on my way. And so, like, obviously, Andy leaves the hospital so he can go take care of this so they can file before the statute of limitations is out. And the thing is, is that the movie immediately jumps to a month later. This is where it's finally time to talk about Joseph Joe Miller. He's a personal injury lawyer. He's... Have you been hit by my bus? Yeah, no. How can none? <laughs> <laughs> That's a local joke for all y'all. He's one of those you pay no cash unless we get cash justice for you kind of lawyers. And he and Andy have gone up against one another before in cases. They don't think much of each other. Why are you snickering? I'm thinking about fingernails for cash.com. <laughs> okay. I'm sorry, that's from Family Guy. Go on. His wife, Lisa, has just had a baby girl. His life is very exciting right now. And one day, while Joe is in his office, in walks Andy Beckett. He looks rough. Yeah, no, he does not look the same as he just did. Like, Tom Hanks had to lose, like, 30 pounds. In the course of a month, his body and physical health has just really gone downhill. And, like, Joe holds out his hand to shake... Good to see you again, Counselor. Judge Tate, Kendall Construction. Innocuous. Yeah. <laughs> How are you? What happened to your face? I have AIDS. Oh. Oh, I'm sorry. I, uh... The wide shot from the ceiling of Denzel backing hella quickly across the room. From that moment on, Joe is very uncomfy. He's conscious of everything that Andy is touching, including his hand, objects on his desk. He's very nervous to even be breathing his air. No, yeah, Joe's homophobic. Yeah. And not just because of AIDS. He's, like, legitimately homophobic. He, he already disliked gay men, especially. Andy is here because Wyatt Wheeler has fired him for what they call incompetence. The fact that he misplaced that brief for the Highland case, right? He did not. He did not. Andy thinks that they fired him because they found out he has AIDS. 
I'm not sure at all how they could have known for sure he has AIDS. That is never established, is it? I think it is later, but at this point in the film, I'm not certain. All right. I'm not, um... Because that's one of the biggest things about the lawsuit, right? Yeah, is how could they have possibly known? Yeah. And what I'm going with for now is that definitely that one partner saw the lesion on his forehead, right? All right, all right, all right. And he's talking about being summoned to a meeting of the managing partners of Wyatt Wheeler. And it's a huge conference table, right? This conference room is huge. There is plenty of room for five people to be stretched out around that table, right? But they want him at the other end of this gigantic table. They're all crammed into one corner. Because they're going to catch the gay. Yeah, and the AIDS. And the AIDS, the gay AIDS. They yes. are, he's placed all at the other end of this table. And when he finally realizes he's being fired, there's more of those shots of people staring into the camera. With all due respect, this, this is preposterous. It, it, it doesn't make any sense. Oh, you're right, Beckett. You don't have an attitude problem. Take it easy, Walter. If you had lost confidence in me, why'd you give me the Highline suit? Andy, you nearly blew the entire case, for Christ's sakes. That alone is inexcusable. It would have been catastrophic for us. Uh-huh. And the confusion on his face, the anger he's feeling, He's a good lawyer. He's like, this is fucking, am I being fired? Yeah. This is insane. This is ridiculous. I do not know what happened. It won't happen again, but like, come on. He's done consistent good work for this firm, and now they're tossing him out like trash. And listen, just like the eight other lawyers that were consulted before him, Joe also says... He doesn't think there's a case. Because he's homophobic. Yeah, he doesn't even want to be in Andy's presence. I don't buy it, counselor. That's very disappointing. I don't see a case. I have a case. If you don't want it for personal reasons. Thank you, that's correct. I don't. Well, thank you for your time, counselor. And after Andy leaves that meeting all dejected, the first thing Joe does is make his secretary set up an emergency appointment with his doctor so he can make sure he didn't contract the disease. Heteronormative people were fucking terrified. They were. Just being in the presence of someone with HIV or AIDS, knowingly, that they would just curl up. They would, they would, they'd rush to the doctor. They'd be terrified to go home and touch their family members. And at first, the viewer can give Joe the benefit of the doubt that he's a concerned father who doesn't want to put his newborn at risk. I mean, I don't. It's quite literally not transmittable air through, through the air. Like, it's not an airborne disease. And the doc explains that to him. In the very next scene, when he's at home with his family... We do get all of the confirmation in the world that he is a bona fide homophobe. Oh, you mean faggot this and faggot that? Oh my god! I'm sorry that I'm saying the F slur, but like, I've been called it all my life. I'm okay. Oh like, my god. Sorry. I won't use it overly, guys. I'm sorry. You know, I don't want to be in the bed with anybody who's stronger than me or that has more hair on their chest than I do. Now, you can call me old fashioned, you can call me conservative. <laughs> Just call me a man. Mm. Mm. <laughs> Besides, I think you have to be a man to understand how really disgusting that whole idea is anyway. How, like, I can't, listen, I'm not a man. I've never been a heteronormative cis man. I, I can't empathize 
with what he might be thinking and feeling. I can a little bit. I do know that it is the product of gross misinformation and bigotry. No, yeah, the the way the way I was so afraid before I realized it in myself that I the, some of I some of the things I said yeah. as a preteen, I, I can't I stare at my ceiling at night and think about sometimes as I'm it like, plays for you like a home movie on like, the ceiling, like because of the way you know. Uh, the way American sitcoms portray this conflict, yeah, you know, or portray this horrible thing that happened in history like it's some big, terrible anti-joke, you know, yeah. and it's actually people's lives. It's two weeks later now from that meeting with Andy. It's Christmas time. Joe is in the library in Philadelphia studying up on case law. I thought you wrote coleslaw. No, it's I'm case sorry, law. I'm sorry. <laughs> studying up on coleslaw. <laughs> I'm sorry. He's reading my notes. I did. I went to your notes to see where you were. I'm like, coleslaw. Elsewhere in the library, Andy is also reviewing case law regarding discrimination against people with HIV and AIDS because he is being forced to act as his own attorney in this lawsuit against Wyatt and Wheeler. Was, yeah, he, he consulted like, what, 10 different attorneys and none of them would take him on. I know. Because they think they'll catch the AIDS. And the librarian brings him a book on the precedent about this issue, and the others around him hear the mention of HIV out loud, and now they're all looking at him. Wouldn't you be more comfortable in a research room? No. Would it make you more comfortable? It would. It would definitely make that librarian more comfortable. Like, they were... All those people around him are terrified. I get... Because of misinformation, right? Yeah. And listen, you know, Joe has been watching this whole encounter from behind a stack of law books. And he walks up, and the librarian eventually backs off. And Joe is about to leave... When he turns back and starts asking Andy about his fact-finding so far, he's wondering how a partner from his law firm noticed the lesion on his forehead and immediately went to firing him over AIDS, right? Yes. And this is when Andy tells him that Walter Kenton, yes, we do have confirmation on that name, Walter Kenton was the guy who noticed the lesion, and it's because Walter Kenton had a secretary who also had these lesions in another firm, right? Mm -hmm. Everyone knew she had AIDS in that firm, but she was not fired for having AIDS. Because it wasn't transmitted to her sexually. It was transmitted to her through a blood transfusion that was necessary when she gave birth. And the legal precedent that this is basis for Andy's, you know, wrongful termination suit is the Federal Vocational Rehabilitation Act of 1973, which prohibits discrimination against otherwise qualified handicapped persons who are able to perform their duties required by their employment. What? Nixon did something right? What? Oh, no. <laughs> Although the ruling did not address the specific issue of HIV and AIDS discrimination. Subsequent decisions have held that AIDS is protected as a handicap under law, not only because of the physical limitations it imposes, but because the prejudice surrounding AIDS exacts a social death which precedes... 
which precedes the actual physical one. A social death that precedes the actual physical one. Meaning that your life will be long over before the illness actually kills you. Before the final blow, yeah. Oh my god! The concept of being ostracized to death is something that you and me have never ever had to fear. Like, we are white Americans in middle America. Yeah. Like, you know, raised in a heteronormative lifestyle. But there are other people with our queerness who do, in the current times, as well as back then, still fear it. Exactly. Oh, and it's awful. After that meeting, Joe does decide that he's going to represent him. And I thought this was going to be the beginning of Joe getting a grip about the prejudice against gay men and people with AIDS. Because what he just witnessed, that whole encounter with the librarian, Mm -hmm. is not unlike racial profiling, right? No, no. And listen, it's not dissimilar. It's not dissimilar, but my my quibble about this movie is that they do not do a good enough job of stating that explicitly. I, I know we just said that they're not dissimilar. I think the big difference there is that racial profiling has always been an absolute. It has been a part of the institutional framework of our system ever since the beginning and before that. But the the stigma of queer individuals, gay men in particular, that was something that had been around for 50 years mm-hmm. at best. People could kind of be gay up until the 1940s. It oh. wasn't something you were loud and proud about, but... Then we got that King James Bible translation. Yeah, and, that and, and said then man all this, will not lie with man. Then all of a sudden, the Bible went from condemning pedophilia to condemning being queer. Like, yep. You know, in my mind, at least, that's why Joe's taking this case. Not because he believes in that aspect of discrimination, but he finds the law interesting, and because he knows it's going to be big for his career, right? I guess. Joe hand delivers a summons. <laughs> when they're at the fucking basketball game. He hand delivers a summons for Wheeler and partners to appear in court at their hospitality suite in a basketball arena where they are entertaining Dr. J. Julius Irving himself. My God. Is he a sports ball person? He is a sports ball person. Okay, gotcha. He, he is He on... was very tall, so I was like, I, I bet he gets net. Take a look at it. Have a good day. Hey, Dr. J, how are you? I love you, man. You're hey. the best. You're the best. If you ever need a lawyer for anything, you give me a call. You slip and fall, you know, accidents, anything, let me know. See you in court. So the partners are going to play hardball and crack open Andy's personal life and try to find any scrap of damning information that can be used against him. Carrie. Yeah. Carrie. Yeah. Can we talk? Can we talk about Andy's um, love life and family life, please? Yeah, Ross, for a thousand years. Because despite this horrible thing that's happening to Andy's professional life right now, it's mostly okay, you know, because he has got the biggest safety net to fall into when he needs to. Like, literally the best case scenario you could imagine. He's very privileged in this regard. We see Andy and Miguel going to Andy's hometown in the present time for his parents' 40th wedding anniversary. Lower Marion? Yeah, Lower Marion. Or whatever. Upper Darby, Lower (laughs) Marion. Pennsylvania's weird, like... Where's my brother? Hey! 
Like, not only does he have two parents who support him, but he's got a whole, like, you know, litter of siblings, mm-hmm. including Ann Dowd. Including Aunt Lydia, yes. <laughs> who, I'm sorry, if you look past her, you don't quite notice. I know. You know, it's like, wow, that is little Ann Dowd. It like, is. All his brothers and sisters know for a fact that he's gay. They know who Miguel is. They know he has AIDS. And accept him lovingly as if nothing else were different, you know? And you know, in this time, it's all well and good for the mother and the siblings to accept him entirely. But his daddy. Oh, his daddy got you? I'm I'm just saying, it's such a low bar. Like, fathers of the world, love your sons, Mm -hmm. regardless of their ailments or sexuality. Like, love them the way Bud Beckett loves Andy. Like... Actually having a family meeting about the fact that the trial is going to bring a lot of heat on the family. Yeah, and he's kind of asking like their permission a little bit. Like, listen, I'm going to drag us all into the spotlight. It's not just me. Is everyone okay with it? Uh, Andy, the way the way that you've handled this whole thing, uh, you and Miguel with with so much courage. I don't believe there's anything that that anyone could say that would make us feel anything but incredibly proud of you. And they're all just like, bud, this is your thing. Like, this is up to you. Like Like, you said, even his parents, who you expect to be from a generation... Where this is just not tolerated. They're proud of him! Yeah, they say they're proud of him. And you know what else is significant about this scene for me? Is that he's holding an infant child. Yeah, and they're letting him hold that baby. Yeah, one. this is one of his siblings' kids, and they are not afraid to let him hold that baby. Again, the bar is so low. And yeah, and, I, and I'm fucking crying at all of this love, and then I'm panting because Antonio Banderas is right there. <laughs> yeah. You know, I'm like, ugh. Every single one of them is there to support him in the courtroom on the first day of trial. And Joe's opening statement is pretty confident. He's trying to lay out for the jury in a way that they can understand from a legal standpoint that these legal partners who were his employers, they broke the law by firing him for having AIDS. Now, the behavior of Andrew Beckett's employees may seem reasonable to you. It does to me. After all, AIDS is a deadly, incurable disease. But no matter how you come to judge, Charles Wheeler and his partners in ethical, moral, and inhuman terms, the fact of the matter is, when they fired Andrew Beckett because he had AIDS, they broke the law. Which should be the crux of this lawsuit, right? That should be what we are focusing on. It won't be. You know it won't be. It won't be. Absolutely not. This is going to be all about gay sex and what men do in the shadows and how they're all disease-ridden vectors and all deserve to be separated from society. Like, speaking of which, Wheeler's attorney, Belinda Conneen, gets up there for her opening statement. What a dumb fucking unfortunate name. (laughs) Belinda Conneen. Stupid bitch. Belinda. (laughs) I'm fucking bitch Belinda. Fuck you, Belinda. She immediately starts characterizing Andy as incompetent, as a liar, 
who concealed his disease and contends that her clients, the law partners, had no idea that Andy had AIDS when he was fired. Belinda, if they had no idea, why bring up that he's a liar? Exactly. Belinda, you let you pulled back. We can see the wizard, Belinda. We see it standing right there. Pay no attention to the homophobia behind that curtain. He claims he's the victim of lies and deceit. Fact. It was Andrew Beckett who lied, going to great lengths to conceal his disease from his employers. Fact. He was successful in his duplicity. The partners at Wyant Wheeler did not know that Andrew Beckett had AIDS when they fired him. And she goes a step further to say, he's only doing this, he's only bringing this lawsuit against his employers because his own, quote, reckless behavior got him a death sentence, and now he's lashing out because of it. So was his incompetency reckless, Melinda? Is that what you're saying? Or was it the homosexual behavior? Oh, I thought you were going to say, was it the homosex? Like, <laughs> no. <laughs> Guys, I'm sorry that we're laughing. It's just we've got to or else we'll just sob. Like, And we're going to sob by the end of it. Yeah, I tell you we'll what. We'll be fucking a wreck by the time you're done. Meanwhile, protesters on both sides of this issue have started to amass outside the courthouse. So many that Andy, Joe, and the team need a police escort to get through the crowds and the reporters. Mm-hmm. Do you think that homosexuals deserve special treatment? Hell no. Standing here in Philadelphia, the uh, city of brotherly love, the birthplace of freedom, where the uh, founding fathers authored the Declaration of Independence. And I don't recall that glorious document saying anything about all straight men are created equal. I believe it says all men are created equal. And even though Joe is playing for the cameras and everything, it is really disheartening to see him later with his colleagues in a bar still making fun of gay people. (laughs) Yeah, I know when that guy's like, are you getting a little light in the loafers there, Joe? Or whatever fucking comment he says. And he's like, yeah, I am. I'm changing. Oh. And I'm looking for a man just like you. It's disquatting. And I mean, like, yeah, Joe is not, like, on the right side here spiritually either, but, like... It reminds me of Atticus Finch. Be- oh, God. Because, listen, I'm sorry, according to Harper Lee's own canon, Atticus Finch didn't take Tom Robinson's case because he believed in the right things. He did it because he thought Tom Robinson deserved adequate legal representation. Atticus Finch ended up being part of the clan, if y'all remember that book sequel. Which is just so cutting. It is. It is like our grandparents' generation, it's like our grandparents' generation's version of, you cut me deep, Shrek. You You cut cut me me real real deep deep just just now. now. Like, (laughs) Oh my God. So remember that woman who worked with Kenton who had AIDS but didn't get fired? Uh, Melinda? Melissa? It's Melissa. Yeah. She's on the stand being questioned by Wheeler's counsel, and their point is that her not being fired, like you said, was contingent on the fact that she received the virus through a blood transfusion. Yeah, because she's a good person, right? But listen, and she doesn't have a deviant sex. I love Melissa in this moment because she knows what they're doing. She knows what they're doing. She knows what the defendants are doing. And she is connecting with Andy even on that stand. Yeah, she's looking at him as if to, as she's giving her testimony, she's looking at him and just saying, "I'm sorry" with her eyes. But I don't consider myself 
any different from anyone else with this disease. I'm not guilty. I'm not innocent. I'm just trying to survive. Thank you, Miss Benedict. Uh, no further questions at this time, Your Honor. The eye contact shots in this scene are exquisite. I know. The way she's looking at him, and I'm just like, oh my God. Then we get Wyatt Wheeler paralegal Anitha Burton on the stand. Uh, Anna, Anna Devere Smith. <laughs> yeah. Anna Devere Cole. What is it? Anna Devere Smith. I'm sorry. That's awful. She's from the West Wing, so uh, I assumed you'd know. National Security Advisor Nancy McNally. Is this Dr. <laughs> McNally taking the stand? And she is pleased as pie to talk about these old white men's bad behavior. She says that they are low-key bigots. And you know what? I completely stand behind the answers she's giving. But listen, Belinda's questioning of her, cross-examination, I should say, Mm -hmm. uh, because I went to Netflix law school. Um, (laughs) Belinda's cross-examination of her is effective. Because Belinda tries to poke holes in that assumption based on the fact that Anitha was promoted to the head of the paralegal department. How do you explain the promotion of an obviously intelligent, articulate, qualified African-American woman in a firm which practices discrimination as wantonly and consistently as you and Mr. Beckett claim? I can't explain it. Could it be that these instances of discrimination are in fact misunderstandings that have been blown completely out of proportion. And she's like, oh, yay for you being a black woman being outright promoted. Oh, but they must be discriminating against all of you so hard, huh? The black people on the jury are seeing right through oh, it. Oh, I know. I, lo- I love the jury, by the way. Don't you- <laughs> we recognize some of those actors in the jury because they're in TV shows we like, but like, <laughs> and yeah, just like all the, all the black jurors are just like, Dude, the it's okay. Here's the thing. Testimony wraps up that day, and I don't want to spend a lot of time on this scene, but I do think it bears talking about. Okay, yeah. The scene in the drugstore where Joe is picking up diapers for his wife. Yeah. And this young Penn State law student comes up to him in the aisle and is like, hey, dude, I love what you're doing. This case is very important in the court of law and in the entire legal landscape. And the thing is, guys, in this time, if you were a gay man, it's hard to form connections with other men, at least romantic ones, because you have to out yourself to do it. And you have to develop a code. Remember when we were talking about in the Brokeback Mountain episode about how fishing trip is code? Yeah, that's like the cruising behavior, right? Yeah. And like, he's like, do you want to get a beer with me right Mm. now? And Joe's like, nah, man, I got to go. What do you think I'm gay? Aren't you? What's the matter with you? Do I look gay to you? Do I look gay to you? Joe, relax. No, what do you mean relax? You know how to kick your faggoty little ass. Take it as a compliment. Jeez. You know, that is exactly the kind of bullshit that makes people hate you a little faggoty ass. His use of the F word, calling him faggoty, like, I just, he he's like why do you think people don't like you people so much <gasps> oh my he's like, you he's, people? Like, he's like this is exactly why people don't fuck with you 
Oh my god. Because you're all creeps trying to get into everybody's pants because you're deviants. No, Joe, they're just desperate for human connection with people they think might be like them. Yeah, exactly. My exactly. Oh god. The next day, Joe is cross-examining more from the Wyatt and Wheeler staff. And, you know, like Shelby, the secretary, right? Mm-hmm. Who has suddenly turned against Andy in this she, moment. Yeah, suddenly turned against him. I think she's distraught and caught in the middle. That's, okay, that might be fair. I think she misses dad. Oh. You know what I mean? That's a weird way of putting it. I'm sorry. I think she misses her boss terribly, but has to keep her job, you yeah. know? And then we also have associate Jamie. Jamie, who definitely framed him for being incompetent. Josh Lyman, you deserve to be in prison. This is the thing, bud, is that by the movie's own admission, Jamie is Joe's witness. And all of a sudden, Joe goes completely feral on Jamie, right? Asks him straight up, are you gay? Are you a homosexual? And makes a literal federal case out of it. Your Honor, he's badgering the witness. It's his witness. (laughs) (laughs) I love Liar Liar. And Joe's like, we're all thinking about it anyway. Uh, Oh, no, 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 wait. Yeah, the judge is like, I don't know what you think you're doing, (laughs) but you better cool your heels and explain it to me. And yeah, the way Joe is just like, listen, we're all thinking about it. And it's all super uncomfortable for every one of you. Because this case is not just about AIDS, is it? So let's talk about what this case is really all about. The general public's hatred, our loathing, our fear of homosexuals. And how that climate of hatred and fear translated into the firing of this particular homosexual. My client, Andrew Beckett. Because it's not just about AIDS. Yeah, no, because this is definitely not about wrongful termination. Everyone in this room right now wants to make this about what this man does in private with who he wants. At first I was like, oh, he's getting all sensitive about the fact that he was cruised the night before, but he is making a salient legal point here. Yeah. And then we get Kenton, the guy who noticed the lesion on Andy's head up on the stand. And we're asking about his time in the Navy. In the Navy. Oh, yes, you sail the seven seas. I have a friend in the Navy. Uh Uh-huh. And it's true. (laughs) It doesn't matter who you were on land. (laughs) We're at sea, son. (laughs) And, like, after Kenton sidesteps around that line of questioning, Joe asks him about why Melissa, the woman who got the transfusion, was never fired for having AIDS. And he confirms as much that she was not fired because she did not, quote, contract this disease by no fault of her own. Didn't you try to avoid contact with Miss Benedict after you found out she had AIDS? She says, and I quote, that you were repulsed by her. You avoided her. Is that correct? I felt, and I still feel nothing, but the deepest sympathy and compassion for people like Melissa who contracted this terrible disease through no fault of their own. I'm sorry. It is no one's fault that they contract HIV. There is personal responsibility to practice safe sex. Where if you know that you have a deadly sexually transmittable disease, it's awful, but you have to have either very safe sex or you have to make a little bit of an alteration to your personal life. And also not share needles. That's another aspect Exactly. Like, it's Through no fault of her own. Yeah, I know. The fault they are speaking of is homosexuality between men. Exactly. 
And it's just so ugly. It's so ugly. And God damn it, it's about to get worse. That night, Miguel is trying to give Andy his treatment. He's taking such good care of him, Ross. Carrie, I'm... My heart... I'm, I have to leave. My heart... I, I, I so, have a good day. You know what? You talk through the rest of it. I'm done. I'm, I'm panicking! My heart just breaks because, you know, Miguel's getting frustrated with him. And this, Ross, is what I do consider the thesis statement of this film... Because Miguel, That's why we did it as our tagline. Yeah, Miguel gets in his face and he goes, <laughs> Put the damn book down. The least you can do is look at me and give me a little of your time, man. Got it? You are worried. We don't have very much time left now, aren't you? No. No. And then Andy's like, well... If you feel that way about it, I'm just going to start planning my memorial service. And like the way Miguel's like, it's maybe something you should think about. It's a heartbreaking inevitability, right? Yeah, and I just love how he immediately goes back on that. No, (laughs) no, no. We're going to have a kiki about it. This is my favorite. We're going to have a gay party about it, okay? They throw a costume party. And my favorite thing about this costume party is obviously everybody's come in their own getup, but Miguel and Andy are in naval uniforms. It's, I'm sorry, it's honestly so hot. It is so hot, but it's also a direct at at Bill Clinton, who said, okay, we will take out that whole don't ask, don't tell thing, but then never really got around to it. Oh no, yeah, he was like, We'll repeal Don't Ask, Don't Tell, but don't ask or tell me about it. Yeah, seriously. Yeah, like, quite literally. And guys, fucking Joe. <laughs> I'm kind of shocked that Joe showed up with his wife. Yeah, with his distaste for homos. Like, I can't believe he dared to show up in his apartment. He's got legal papers stapled to a suit. And Why he, is that, Carrie? He calls himself a lawsuit. I'm fucking. I can <laughs> Joe. Joe. And just a couple things I want to mention about this party. There's a couple of queer, like, well-known performers and artists at this party. Most notably, the Flirtations. Oh, yeah? Who were a pro-LGBT male acapella music group. They were active in that time. Oh, they're singing the Sandman, yeah. Mr. Sandman. Bring me a dream. Bum, 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 bum. Make him the cutest that I've ever seen. Bum, 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 bum. Give him two lips like roses and clover. Then tell me that my lonesome nights are over. <laughs> I'm so alone. Don't have a boyfriend to call my own. Please turn on your magic beam. Mr. bring us a dream. Oh, I love it so much. I love that they managed to include them in this movie. And the thing is that after this party is over, Andy and Joe are sitting down to prep Andy for his testimony the next day. If you were to read the synopsis of this film on the internet, it would say that Joe's homophobia slowly disappears. I disagree. Okay. It is this scene. Yeah. Where it disappears. If it doesn't totally disappear, 
He, he, if he doesn't do a 180, he does a mm, 165, you know? That was some good math. <laughs> you know? I'm, I'm proud of you. Mm-hmm. Because Andy is, you know, Joe is trying to question him, like, you know, prep him for the questions. And Andy won't engage. He's he, like, you survived your first gay party. Like, <laughs> wow, that's big of you, Mr. Homophobe. Like, Instead of prepping for the testimony, Andy is trying to connect with him. More intense eye contact shots. And then we get into the discussion of the opera Madeleine, which contains an aria that is Andy's favorite aria in all of opera, like gay stereotype or not. I'm here for it. I also have a favorite aria. So go, Andy. And like the thing is, is that this aria from Madeleine has a character, the, the, the titular character, lamenting the loss of her mother and her loneliness, and how she cannot feel love from those around her. Sound familiar? It's a disconnect that many gay men and people with AIDS could feel in those times. Do you hear the heartache in her voice? Can you feel it, Joe? come the strings and it changes everything. It's like the music, it fills with, with a hope. I feel like this is just Andy bearing all. Yeah. This is and Andy, you're right, is trying to get Joe, who he needs 100% in his corner. And I think this is his attempt to get Joe to look at him. Mm-hmm. As 100% a human being. The least you could do is look at me and give me a moment of your time. And this is the thing about this Tom Hanks movie in particular for me. I forget all about him. And I can't say that I really have had an experience like that with a Tom Hanks movie before. He completely disappears like, for you. I, it's literally just Andrew Beckett. And I think that that's an astounding talent to have. Because this was... This scene is deeply moving with the lighting. Oh, all the light in the room changes. Yeah, it's like we're in fucking Kill Bill. Like, I'm like, you know. Everything's all red. And we're really feeling the emotion. You know, his, his Tom Hanks' delivery of this is just superb. And just the way Denzel's reaction to it. I think Denzel Washington said something to the effect of while shooting this that, you know, it's just like there was no acting required watching Tom give this performance. Like, that is me reacting to the performance that he's giving. It's everything around you, just the blood and the mud. I am divine. I am oblivion. I am the God that comes down from the heavens to the earth and makes of the earth a heaven. Joe 
Joe actually appears for the first time in a real way to be feeling something. Like the when when they finally when when Andy finally snaps out of it and he's like, "I'm sorry. We can go over the testimony." And the way Joe shuts his briefcase, gets up from the table and goes, "No. That won't be necessary. You're ready." No, yeah. <laughs> He has no doubts. Yeah. He has no doubts about this man's ability to appeal to a larger mass of humans. And can I just, can I say just a little bit more about this sequence? And I promise you we'll move on. Sure. Queer people are so important, so incredibly vital, because the very nature that we have stymied within them has caused them to engage in this, these acts of survival, these emotional and mental acts of survival that force them to gain perspective on human life and quality of human life that heteronormative people do not have to put effort into doing. Because it's all normal for them. Exactly. Life is completely normal for them. Queer people are, in a way... More human than a lot of heteronormative people could ever be. Not that they can't be. But just that they understand compassion. They understand the truth. As much as they might try to hide it. They understand generosity. They understand equity. They understand justice and progress and expression in a way that the heteronormative contingent of most major developed societies does not. Because why would they? Society has catered to the heteronormative largely throughout the globe. And guys, I'm not trying to be prejudiced against heteronormative people by saying that. I'm not trying to say that that can never be true for heterosexual people, cisgender people. I'm saying that queer people have a heightened sense of awareness of it miles ahead of most heteronormative individuals. I believe that's entirely fair. I do. I do. Because of the world we prescribe for them. The same way you and I have limits to what we can understand about racial inequity and discrimination. Exactly. I've never once had to worry about speaking to a police officer. Yeah, I've never felt unsafe speaking with a police officer. Uh, yeah, my, our parents always told us, do exactly what they say, don't argue with them. But not because they were afraid of us being murdered. Yeah, and that's a reality for many non-white people. They're worried about legal fees. Yeah. They weren't worried about our lives. Exactly. The next day, it's Andy's turn on the stand to give testimony. Mm-hmm. And he's describing... Why he wanted to work at Wyatt Wheeler. And I was impressed with the partners. Including Charles Wheeler? Particularly Charles. What impressed you about him? He was the kind of lawyer I thought I wanted to be. And what kind of lawyer is that? Possessed of an encyclopedic knowledge of the law. A razor-sharp litigator. Genuine leader. Gifted at bringing out the very best in others and expect him to say 
all of these glowing, incredibly complimentary things about Charles Wheeler. Guys, Andy on the stand is so effective. It is. To the jury. Because the way he opens up by praising the defendants. Yeah. Makes them look like the fucking they are. Sorry if you have to bleep that. (laughs) They are. They are rant. They are a rancid gaggle of and he is letting the jury know that by speaking highly of them. Look at what they're doing to me. I know. Look at what they're putting me through. And the thing is, he always planned to tell Charles Wheeler that he was gay, but decided not to once he heard Charles tell some very homophobic jokes in the sauna at the club. And Ross... He says he was relieved. He was relieved to know that he had never told him, knowing that that is what Charles felt about gays, that they were a joke. And Ross, this is the part that I knew you would love, because I think Joe asks him, you know, something to the effect of... Uh, what I love the most about the law? Yes. That every now and again, not often, but occasionally, you get to be a part of justice being done. That really is quite a thrill when that happens. I did love this moment. I would have written it differently. But Ross, I was crying. I, so was I, Carrie. I was tearing up too. He is in Philadelphia. Yeah, no, and like, yeah, no, that that hit me hard. Yeah, that hit me hard in the feels. It's very John Adams. Because I also like, I'm not gonna say I love the law, <laughs> but I want to be a part of the law. You love the theory of it, sure. But like, I want to be. I don't want. Mm, I don't love the law as is. Right. I want to be a part of making it what it should be. I understand. I understand. Which is far more complex than what Andy is saying. But it's just, in this moment, I'm like, it's so not a mystery to me why Tom Hanks was an executive producer behind John Adams. That's all I'm saying. Oh, no. he's a, Tom and I would have so much to talk <laughs> about. You know what? Call him. <laughs> Call him right Call, now. Get him and Rita over here. Let's, <laughs> let's crack open a bottle and let's talk about HBO's John Adams. And Andy starts not feeling super well on the stand. Oh, yeah. Talk again. The effectiveness. I'm sorry. I'm sorry that it has to be Andy in pain. Yeah. And having the residual, you know, conditions of his illness appear right here during his testimony. He's He's getting worn out. Yeah. As he's going along. And then immediately Belinda starts highlighting Andy's risky behavior, talking about the gay porn movie theater that he had been to all of three times in his young life. And yeah, that he admits to having sexual intercourse with a man in that theater. One time. One time. And this was back in 1984. And the, yeah, the way Belinda's like, Mr. Beckett, were you living with Miguel Alvarez? In 1984 or 85, when you had your anonymous sexual encounter in the porn theater? Yes. So you could have infected him, isn't that right? Miguel has not been infected. You didn't answer my question. You could have infected Mr. Alvarez at that time. Is that correct? Oh, no. And, like, he's just like, yeah, fucking yeah, I could have. 
I didn't really know. No one knew. No one really knew how this disease worked at the time, but like, whatever. Fuck you, Belinda. Like, and that's also presumably how he got AIDS. Yeah. And just the way she is trying to highlight him as duplicitous to bolster the fact that he was allegedly lying about the fact that he knew the partners fired him for having AIDS. She's trying to discredit him. And this stunt with the mirror... I can't take it because the thing is, is like he insists that the partners knew he had AIDS because of the lesions on his forehead. Yes. And she pulls this stunt where she pulls out a hand mirror and holds it up to him from three feet away and is like, can you see the lesions on your face? And he says no. And you want to know why? Because his vision is fucking spotty from AIDS. Yeah. Yeah. And it's not that visible to him because the lesion in question it's kind of faded. It's healing. He's on. He's being treated for this. Yeah, and so uh, that looks like a big tank for Joe and Andy. But then Joe gets up there, and I do honestly love Joe in this moment. Denzel, because Joe counters by asking Andy if he has any other lesions on his body, and he's like, "Yes, sir, I do on my torso." This is great for a movie. But a judge would never allow this. (laughs) I understand. He asks that Andy remove his shirt so the court can see the lesions on his torso. And the thing is, I was expecting one big lesion. They're all all over his torso. They're all over his torso. Everyone can see them. People in the back of the courtroom can see them. Yeah. Andrew, can you see the lesions on your chest in this mirror? Yes. Thank you. As this whole sequence with Andy's testimony goes along, we see the jury getting more and more uncomfortable. And I don't think it's an I don't think it's uncomfy with him. I think it's uncomfy with themselves. Oh, wow. The fact that they are sitting here judging this person for having a disease. Yeah. Yeah. Because they can see how out of it he's becoming. Mm-hmm. And they're glaring at the defendants like, mm-hmm. you're the reason we're here. This poor man is suffering. Yeah. And you are making us quibble about this in our own minds exactly like and they're just getting more and more uncomfortable not at him for him exactly yeah now charles wheeler takes the stand him and his horrible thin white man lips (laughs) and i'm sorry i hate him no yeah normally i wouldn't comment about people's bodies but fuck him quite literally fuck that cracker (laughs) (laughs) sorry i'm just saying no i needed a laugh because it's about to get rough Joe is in the middle of establishing Wheeler as a homophobe, and Andy... I'm sorry, I'm still laughing about fuck that cracker. <laughs> Go on, I'm sorry. Andy is getting more... <laughs> he is! He's such a cracker about everything! In the worst possible way! I ju- I'm, so- I'm really sorry. We- Sometimes we say cracker with love! We- this is not one of those <laughs> we- moments. We have to finish this. <laughs> We've been here for 90 minutes almost. (laughs) Oh, my God. Uh, So, yes, Andy is getting more and more visibly ill. And in the middle of Charles's testimony, 
he stands up and collapses and is immediately hospitalized. And this is where all the laughs stop. Yeah, guys, this could, sorry about that little bout of laughter here. There will be no more. Yeah, there, are, there uh, will be no more for the rest of the recording. In fact, there will be some sobbing in a few minutes. If you'll just give me enough time, there will be some sobbing. Mm-hmm. Miguel is in the ER so upset as they're trying to save him. And guys, obviously, Andy misses the last day of testimony. Oh, the shot of the empty chair when we go back to court. It's so effective. Uh, and listen, we see jury deliberations, and to their credit, at least the foreman is having a shred of common sense about the whole thing. The military man who you would never think. I Right? Yeah. Because he's like, listen, if I'm flying a plane into enemy territory, I'm not sending someone I don't have faith in. Say I got to send a pilot into enemy territory and he's going to be flying a plane. It costs $350 million. Who am I going to put in that plane? Some rookie who can't cut the grade because I want to see if he can rise to the challenge? Or am I going to give that assignment to my best pilot, my sharpest, my most experienced, my top gun, the very best I got? And I just don't get that. Would somebody please explain it to me? Like I'm a (laughs) six-year-old? All but one juror agrees to award Andy damages. And oh boy, are there some damages. Yeah, guys, when they started coming out, when the jury started reading the amounts they were awarding Andy... Were you very quickly doing math? Uh, No, because you know me. (laughs) Simple math has never gone well. Um, (laughs) Math, 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 math. No, but the first two sums, I was like, oh, wow, shit. And then the third sum ran me over like a freight train. (laughs) For back pay and loss of benefits, we award $143,000. For mental anguish and humiliation, we award $100,000. And for punitive damages, we award $4,782,000. That last one, (laughs) I was like, ow! Oh, yeah! Like... But legally, I don't love a lot about our legal system, but I do love the concept of punitive damages, which is basically damages that say, bitch, don't do that again. (laughs) Wait a minute. No, no. I was literally just listening to TCO, which is definitely where you got that from. It is. It is. (laughs) Bitch, don't do that again. Yeah, they settle it in court. I, what case is that? I don't remember. Oh, come on. It's uh... it's 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 got to be Stephen Avery like his first case. Yes, no. I was listening to Making a Murderer on TCO <laughs> and there is it to say bitch don't do that again. Exactly. Like, the math wasn't mathing. I mean... <laughs> and the thing is, again, no more laughs. I'm sorry we laughed more, but no more laughs because they won. But Andy was not there to see it. Yeah, because Andy is quite literally at death's door in the hospital. He's lost all vision in his right eye. He will not regain it. He's not get he's not getting any better, guys. They do not expect him to be able to leave the hospital. And Andy is surrounded by his gaggle of loving family. And he even looks like he's in good spirits, even though he's on oxygen. Lying in that bed looking so frail. And I, listen, I just love that 
Joe walks in there, and of course he's well received by the family because he he got them what they deserve. They're gonna have enough. Yeah, they're gonna have enough. No, D- Andy definitely jump started the generational wealth. What do you call a thousand lawyers? Janey gather at the bottom of the ocean. I don't know. A good start. <laughs> I did not know this is where this came from. A damn good start. A damn good start. (laughs) That's a joke from the office. Yeah, but it's a bus, not chained at the bottom of the ocean. Also, why don't you explain this to me like Like I am an eight-year-old? Yes! We didn't even talk about that. I know. Wow, Michael Scott must have seen this movie at some point. I I know. I know. And, like, listen, obviously Andy's on oxygen and... He's taken his mask off so he can talk to Joe, and he's going to put his oxygen mask back on, but he's just a little too weak to do it. Mm -hmm. And Joe, who was petrified to touch him at the beginning of the movie, holds out his hand and says, let me do it for you. Thanks for stepping right over the bar, Joe. (laughs) Yeah, no! Thanks for tiptoeing over the bar. We appreciate that. I do love the eye contact in the camera shots, though. And jo- it's less it's the same, but it's not disconcerting anymore, is it? It's it's normal. Excellent work, counselor. I thank you. That was great working with you. Counselor. And Joe leaves, he says, bye, dude, I'll see you later. They would not. Because yeah. guys, this is the point where I started sobbing because all of Andy's family members start coming to his bedside one by one, getting ready to leave, telling him they love him, they'll see him in the morning. And, you know, that's beautiful. That's nice. I love that Andy has that. But I started uncontrollably sobbing, like to the point where Gavin had to come in out of the other room and be like, honey, what's wrong? Because I couldn't stop. I couldn't stop thinking about all of the men and women who had this disease, who were wasting away in hospital beds, all alone, with no one, dying alone. And maybe maybe that was the point of parading all of those nice people by his bedside, is thinking about the people who did not have those people. I mean, when you think about how many people had absolutely no familial support and about how in the queer communities you'd attend several funerals in the course of a month in New York City, how the state government literally picked a random island to produce a mass grave on. To bury all of the unclaimed corpses. Unclaimed. <laughs> Remember Pose? Yeah. They, 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 they show that in Pose. They show a lot of that in Pose. And, yeah, obviously Andy's very privileged in this regard. He has a huge safety net. And, I mean, once all the family works their way out, you know... Miguel just shuts the door 
and he's trying to andy's trying to say something to miguel and miguel takes his oxygen mask off and andy just says miguel i'm ready Such such an awful thing. I can remember in the throes of the pandemic seeing aerial shots of mass graves. And, you know, we talked about, like, contagion, you know, a year after all of that started to happen. And, like... How we're able to compartmentalize. How are we able to compartmentalize this sort of mass death? It's all new for you and me. We were not alive when this was happening in the worst way. But then again, I never learned about that this exact thing that I couldn't believe I was seeing unfold upon television in front of me happened in an even greater way in New York City in the 1980s. In what's supposed to be a developed nation. But I've never seen or heard about it because no one cared. Or no one cared enough. I shouldn't say no one cared. But the people who are charged with safeguarding our quality of life had absolutely no regard because it's not important to them. And it it doesn't get happier because we go to his funeral. They're having a memorial like get together for him at his apartment. And this goes back to what you just said. It This is the part that made me sob. All of his family in his house gathered together celebrating his life to remember him and his life and you know he's not there and his family and his friends his blood family his chosen family miguel's family people just like him yeah who are also living with this disease the camera is literally just going around the room people crying people hugging people laughing people sharing memories i especially sobbed hard when we zoom into the television where we're playing old home movies of him as a child. My sobbing intensified seeing those home movies, even though I know they're not real. Yeah, I know. And also this great original song. City of brotherly love, people who were afflicted by this terrible disease, people who are queer, people who just happen to get it either through, you know, substance abuse disorder or just by accident, they're all stigmatized by society, especially in those times. But no matter who they are, they are always someone's child, someone's brother, someone's sister. They are citizens of this country. They were people, and we ignored them for so long as a culture. That's why this film is, uh, I guess, considered revolutionary. Yeah. A major motion picture had not addressed this issue in any clear, concrete way until 1993. Which is pathetic. It kind of makes me think about how Cracker Barrel had a racial segregation case before the Supreme Court in 1993. Yeah. Like, how, how pitiful. And, you know, 1993 was the end of Bush. 
the end of that presidency, and I'm sorry, the, the, the Bush senior presidency was basically just Reagan three. Yeah. Throughout the 90s, I'm not going to say this problem got better. Because it didn't. I'm going to say this, I'm going to say that treatment advanced. Yeah. It became far easier with the introduction of AZT for people to live with the disease for much longer than they would without. It's still a huge problem today, guys. It might, people might not be dying at the rate that they were between 1983 and 1993. At least not in this country. No, it's horrible in Africa. Yeah. And in parts of Asia. Yeah, guys, I'm sorry that we're so grim here at the end, but like... And I'm sorry that all of our coverages have been so brutal so far, but like the history of gay America is a history of brutality. And that's why I say queer people are so important. They have been forced to do the work to survive that all human beings should be doing in pertinence to their enlightenment and to their progress as human beings. That's why there's so much that can be learned from umbrella queer people yeah and carrie carrie's not done hurting us because before we came down here to record this she showed me tom hanks's oscar acceptance speech when he won best actor for this yeah because that's the thing dude most of the time when we've got an actor who is not queer playing a queer character i'm like nah. you have something to say I yeah have something and, to say as you should yeah and the thing is is that Tom Hanks, and this is part of why he's a national treasure, has such a high grade of empathy, which is what makes him a great actor mm -hmm. and also just a fabulous human being. His Oscar speech where he not only thanks Denzel Washington for taking the immense risk with his career, but also denotes Antonio Banderas with being his second choice for a long life lover. Yeah, besides Rita. <laughs> besides if, Rita. If he wasn't with Rita, he'd definitely be with Antonio. <laughs> Which I just found I'm amazing. here. New headcanon just dropped. <laughs> Alternate timeline where Antonio Banderas and Tom Hanks are lovers. And then he goes on to remember countless men and women who died in this crisis. I know that my work in this case is magnified by the fact that the streets of heaven are too crowded with angels. We know their names. They number a thousand for each one of the red ribbons that we wear here tonight. They finally rest in the warm embrace of the gracious creator of us all, a healing embrace that cools their fevers, that clears their skin, and allows their eyes to see the simple, self-evident, common-sense truth that is made manifest by the benevolent creator of us all and was written down on paper by wise men, tolerant men, in the city of Philadelphia 200 years ago. God bless you all. God have mercy on us all, and God bless America. Oh, Woo! It's guys. One, it's one of the most beautiful Oscar speeches I've ever heard. Heavy. God damn it. Carrie, I'm sorry. It's over now. Yeah. I'm, de I'm declaring that it's over. <laughs> Hi, guys. You're done being sad? P you. <laughs> Proof. Profoundly upsetting. All right. Let's... But that doesn't mean we shove it under the rug, does it, Carrie? No, 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 no. Absolutely not. That's why we're here, to talk about stories like this, make you think a little bit about your life. And it's all because of the movies. <laughs> <laughs> 
Isn't that what this whole stupid podcast is about? It is what this whole stupid podcast is about. Guys, we're glad that's over. Fuck are we? Because the last three weeks have been brutal content-wise. Guys, we've got a good one. Yeah. We've got a good one coming for you. Our last Pride coverage. It's going to be fun. Straight women of America. (laughs) Call your gay best friend. Get a set of earphones. (laughs) Click on to Podbean, Spotify, or Apple Podcasts. Because we got a doozy coming for you next week. Next week, we are going to be covering the movie musical adaptation from 2002, Chicago! Gays, unite! <laughs> I don't know what it is about Chicago. It's one of the gays' favorite shows. Like, I mean, it doesn't even deal with gays. It's the campy, it's the bossy, it's the... <laughs> It's the Renee Zellweger being great at performing. In the meantime, guys, you can go follow us on Twitter at Kick and Stream. K-I-C-K-N-S-T-R-E-A-M. You can write the show at Kicking and Streaming Podcast at gmail.com. That's with an and, not an ampersand. And don't forget, folks, please be practicing those three precious R's. Rate, review, retweet. Rate, review, retweet, folks. We want everyone to come and join this little watch party. More quality content coming to you from Kicking and Streaming. Until then, I'm Carrie. I'm Ross. And as always, I'm I'm gay, Mom. (laughs) I'm pretty queer. (laughs) I like them all. It's not just ladies. Not sorry, Mom. (laughs) 